You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I love having conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me and getting into the journey of their life to see how they got to where they are now. My hope is that by going through people's ups and downs and twists and turns and trying this out and this out and this out, you have a lot more compassion for yourself and your life, and also that you give yourself a freaking chance. You're not too late. You're not too old. Heal the stuff that already happened and um, meet yourself with so much love and compassion and see that this life is yours. Live it your way. Claim it. On today's episode, I really, really love talking to Erica Ballanger. <laughs> Did you? I'm like, oh, I like hesitated because I was afraid I was going to say her um, name wrong. And then I just sort of said it Erica Ballanger, mm, French name. She gave me a couple different pronunciations. We'll go with that one. She is a yoga teacher, a somatic HSP coach, and the host of the On and Off Your Mat podcast. We go through her her journey with healing, healing of some eating disorder, chronic illness, addiction, mental illness, patterns of self-sabotage and self-abandonment, and because of her healing herself through all of that stuff, why she does the work she does today. Also, besides her story and her journey, at the end, I ask her about what I've been feeling like we're seeing thrown around a lot these days with somatic healing and um, regulating your body or regulating your emotions. And she gives some tips on how to do that, like actual ways to do that. And also like how to support yourself in learning some self-regulation that works for you, right? Because we're all unique and what we need per time to time. So definitely stay tuned to the end for that. All right. Uh, Before I say let's get into it, as always, I want to remind you to please follow the podcast. That's what they call it these days instead of subscribe. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. Or if you listen on Spotify, I know you can leave a rating. If you leave a review on Apple Podcast, you can send me a screenshot and I will send you a little gift from my product line because reviews matter. And speaking of reviews, if you've read my book, please leave a review on Amazon, Goodreads, anywhere that you bought it. Uh, Again, reviews really, really help books, products, podcasts become more discoverable not just by people reading your amazing words, but it actually helps the algorithms of things to show up more in people's feeds, whether they're looking for a new book, a podcast, product, whatever. So super, super, super grateful for that. And if you don't have it yet, you can go to F the Shoulds, Do the Once, and you'll find links to all your retailers there. You can also order a signed copy from my shop, shop shop.yourjoyologist.com. All right, and now let's get to the episode. I love talking to people, getting a little bit glimpse of how they grew up. So you can go earlier than this, but I love talking especially about high school years because I feel like it's such a formative time and it can feel like, you know, okay, once you're out of high school, the rest of your life begins. What are you going to do? Who are you going to be? And so like that can start in high school of like what you, yeah. Like, so what was high school life? You can go earlier than that too, like for you. And like, did you have a vision of who you thought you would be or 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, high school was just like a more intense version of earlier in life, right? Because everything feels like more risky and more dangerous and more important. <laughs> and I think I was always like just a very highly sensitive person. And so it really, sh it was really showing in my high school years. I suffered from eating disorders. So I started before high school, even before middle school. And so that was part of my high school, for sure, story and life. I would not eat in front of people. I would not, you know, I had all these like strategies to avoid lunchtime and things like that. So I was definitely struggling with anxiety and fear of judgment and like highly judging my own self, right? And others probably too, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, I think and that that for sure happens in high school is that's where, and I'm like big on, you know, I read a book called F the shoulds do the once about how we're so like, but I think it very much, I mean, it starts, yeah, younger than that. But I feel like in high school, it's very heightened of like, what should I be doing this, that, and that it is a lot of internal judging and judging others is in the shoulds. Do you mind talking at all about the your eating disorder? No, no. What? So it started very young, it sounds like. It started at eight years old, actually, which is kind of rare. It usually starts with puberty, but I did hit puberty really young. Like I started my cycle at 10 years old, so I was already in that before. And so I was like in fifth grade when it started. And I just started to go to like corner store, like the equivalent of like a 7-Eleven and I would steal food and I would hide in the alleyway and I would eat. Um, I felt really uncomfortable eating in front of people. I felt really judged. I felt really pressured to be skinny. And so I like didn't eat. So I, I wanted people to think that I didn't eat very much, but I needed to eat. And then also it became like a soothing way, like a way to relax my nervous system and to feel grounded, like to feel the weight of food. So I started binge eating pretty young. I, it was kind of an alternation. I didn't even know that binge eating was a thing like back then. Like he, I think we talked more about anorexia and bulimia, but not the in-between gray zone or like the slightly different options that you can have in disordered eating. And so I didn't think I was, I had an issue. I just thought, That was something I did, although I feel I felt shame around it. But so I, I kind of went back and forth between binging and then not eating for a few days to kind of compensate. And I didn't think that that was disordered eating because I was not making myself vomit or I, I was not taking laxative, but I was basically having the same behaviors, just disguised a little bit more. And do you, do you know or do you think that it like started because of, did it start from, you know, like, the idea of what your body, what, like, did you have, like comments of what your body was supposed to look like? Or are you internalizing that? Or because I know, yeah, I personally haven't had, I've definitely had struggled with food and diet culture and body image still. It's like a continual thing, I think, <laughs> that needs to be continually healed. But um, yeah, like, I know that it can start, you know, from control aspects being one, but of course, wanting to control what your body looked like being huge. But sometimes people, it just is more of something they can control. I think that was just an extra thing on top. I think like I grew up in a family where being slim and skinny was important and beauty was very valued. And my mom was on a diet most of her life. Like that was the container of my family. But I don't think 
that that is what triggered it so early and so young. I think it was the result of childhood trauma and I needed to find a way to cope. And that was like you're soothing my body and my system with yourself with mm-hmm. food. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I have so much more to say. I'm like about all of that. But yeah, it is. So I, I, I hope that people growing up and that's why I have yet a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and it's so different, you know, like just, it's so interesting. But yeah, well, I definitely grew up with diet culture. I, my mom, like still, she's in her seventies is still refers to like, oh, I need to go back on a diet. Oh, I got to go. Like everything is a diet. Mm-hmm. Like not just like, what if you just Same. like the term diet, like I can't like never you say that word to me again. Like, <laughs> like, it's so ingrained. And so like, yeah, from a young age too, that I was like put on it, like, or not put on it, but suggested, oh, here, this, or I I started eating all fat-free foods. Like, I think when I was in junior high, like, okay, I will stop eating fat and all that. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so more beyond high school stuff, that was a little bit of that. Like, yeah, what about once high school is ending? And also, where did you have a, you have a, where, where were you growing up? You have a bit of an accent. <laughs> I'm from Montreal, Canada. Okay, that's what I was uh-huh. guessing. Yeah. So like, just because of your last name, talking about being having a French background. Got it. So Montreal, and I'm assuming there is a, the same sort of pressure that a lot of Americans and uh, feel that like, okay, once high school is done, then you go to college. Was it, did you have pressure of like... It's slightly different in our system because we have an in-between. We have... Like we finish a year earlier high school. So we we finished the equivalent of like 11th grade and then we go to a two-year college before going to university so we have like college and university we have like two different things and the college is either you choose like a pre-university program that will like allow you to then go into your bachelor's degree or you do like a technical program something like nursing or things that is a shorter than like a bachelor right So we have that in-between step to kind of give us a little breather to really decide our career and to explore a little further. And And is the college part... I don't think the pressure is Is that the college, which is the like first step, is that something that is, uh, I was going to say like state funded, but like whatever. Everything is state funded. So Mm -hmm. that's another big thing. Yeah. With a, because that can be a big part of Americans. It's like, right, you should go to college because that you do this, whatever. But then you also have to pay for college. And even if you go to your local college, a community college, like it's nothing is given to you. Well, yeah, you can work for loans and this and that like scholarships. But yeah, but like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a bachelor's degree, including everything, it cost me maybe 1500. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so, but does everybody sort of then go to a college of some sort? Because it is sort of like, okay, this is your next step, but it doesn't maybe feel as pressured as it can in the States of like, you either go to college or you don't. I think it it feels expected of you, but there's not the same amount of pressure, I don't think. So what 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 was your journey with that like? And like, what did you think you would be when you grew up? Or did you know? Or So I was always very creative and I wanted to actually study photography, which I did not do. I got, you know, my parents told me that I would make it. (laughs) So I was like, all right, I guess I won't make it in the arts. And so I went to become a teacher. So knowing that I wanted to do um, education in college, I could do a lot of different pre-college program. And I did languages because I wanted to teach French eventually. So. And I wanted to do like a, uh, like for immigrants, like a kind of ESL, but for French. 
you know, like for people that don't like second language or third language. And so I was, I thought like the more languages I know, the more I understand how the students <laughs> are doing and how difficult it is for them. So I went on to do a program of studying uh, advanced English, Spanish, and German. So that was my, my college choice. And that's, and that, did you end up sticking with that? And then from your college, did you then go to the university for teaching like you thought? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I followed that path and I became a teacher and I was a school teacher for seven years before I burned out and needed to stop. Wow. And was it, uh, what level of school were you teaching? Well, I started teaching high schoolers, um, and like, yeah, I, I, I looked barely older than them. <laughs> and uh, I did five years in high school. And then just the way seniority works, there was no high school that sixth year for me to pick. And I had to go all the way down to kindergarten. And so I did two years in kindergarten. And this is where I was already really sick. I was struggling with chronic illness and chronic pain, plus adding to it like the load of teaching kindergartners when that's not what you like. Like you like older kids, you like sarcasm, you like, you know, it's very different. Uh, That was just a little too much for me to handle at that point. And what happened with the eating disorder throughout this time? Did it change or progress? Did you end up healing it? And then, yeah, you just mentioned chronic pain and other things like was that part of a yeah. health journey? I mean, the so when I was in college, when I was in university, university, I went to this conference that was called "What Is It to Eat Normally," and I was expecting that it was going to be another diet culture based conference. I was hoping to have more tricks on how to diet down and you know all the things, and it was not that at all. When I showed up, it was actually a conference on disordered eating, but I hadn't figured it out before sitting in the audience. And so I was shocked a little bit and I actually had a panic attack. And so I left the room and I went to the bathroom and I sat in the stall and I just started to cry. You know, like the ugly cry where you can't breathe and like you're, you feel like you're going to die. And then after a few minutes when I was able to gather myself, I was like, oh, okay. Obviously I have a problem. It's like, I hadn't put it together until that point that that was a big issue. I just thought it was the way I was managing my weight, basically. Like, I didn't really think that I had such a big problem until it was literally laid out in front of me by this conference person and the keynote speaker. And it hit me like a ton of brick. So I couldn't even go back into the room until he was done. And I waited outside. And once he was done, I walked in. I said nothing. I just took his business card and I left. And then the next day I called the clinic and I said, I think I need to come in for an assessment. And I came in and they brought me in for a five-year outpatient program. Five years? So for five years. Yeah. Day, every day, the first um, few months I would go, we'd have like group therapy, single therapy, nutrition, uh, meal, like group meals. Like all, every day I had to be at the clinic um, for a while. And then slowly over time, they're like, okay, you can come three times a week, twice a week, once a week, once every other week, you know, and at the end of the five year, the fact the last year, I just went a couple times or three, four times during the year. And then they were like, okay, we think you're ready to be on your own in this, in this world. Good luck. Congratulations. And so at that point I didn't feel like I was completely healed, but definitely it had helped a lot. And there had been a lot of changes in, the way that I operated in the world. 
but it followed me for a long time and it still it still comes up to the surface like it's it's not part of my everyday life but when i get really stressed or when something is very challenging emotionally like i can see the natural tendency to reach for food or to do another behavior that's helping me feel numb like it was it was another coping mechanism like drinking alcohol or doing drugs like it was just a way to shut my brain to feel in my body because I felt so out of body for a long time. So I still notice that these tendencies come up to the surface, but I don't identify with eating disorders anymore. I don't consider myself. I feel like I, I eat normally today and I'm a lot more comfortable with food and around people. I'll still cha be challenged sometimes around new people. Like I'll feel like maybe they're going to judge me or things like that. But I kind of talk myself <laughs> out of the craziness. And um, so I feel a lot more equipped today. But I feel like it's always a little bit a part of who you are because it was so present in such, like you were saying, formative years of your life, you know? Yeah, formative years and also that it lasted that long and also that it is like something you will have to do for the rest of your life is eat food. Yeah, and it's like, that's the thing with food is like you can't just stop. It's not like alcohol and you're like, okay, never mind. I'm never, never going to touch it again. You'll have to eat every day for the rest of your life. Right. And even just so now- So it's like learning to moderate alcohol when you're an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, no. And even like what you were just saying or like, yeah, if you get stressed and I was like, yeah, because you know, I, I definitely have like in some way a nurture myself with food or like, and I, well, I think most people are like, whether it's like, oh, okay, let me, oh, it's, let me make a comfort food or something like that. And sometimes, yeah, when I've been through a lot, then it's something sure like, yeah, let me, yeah, let me eat this whole bag of whatever snack tonight. Or like, you know, like it mm -hmm. feels like I'm taking care of myself by love that, but I haven't had that same struggle. And so it's okay. But yeah, right. See where you could be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to have another serving like or whatever, like, uh, ugh, I'm just going to let myself indulge tonight, how that would be a different like indulge more of like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm eating more than I need to right now. But I'm loving it. And that's how I'm nurturing myself right now or whatever. And let how that can be like, oh, wait. Uh, I yeah, probably can't. It could that. be triggering. But it can also be just that you're making that choice and you're conscious about it. And that's the difference. And that's mm, the being right, out of the, the eating disorders that you're able to feel. Yeah, you have the awareness and you feel in control and that you have agency. And you're like, I'm choosing to do this because of why. And if you are able to have that conversation, then when you choose the food and you choose to overindulge, you can be compassionate about it with yourself. You can be gentle because you consciously made the choice and you didn't feel like this thing had power over you and you're a victim of some way or you failed in some way or it's shameful in some way. You just made a choice. It's a very different energy, but it is more sensitive of a choice to make for me than for someone probably who's never struggled with binge eating. Yeah, because even that, what you were just saying even there, it's like I had to like with that, even though I've never struggled with binge eating and had a a disorder in that way, but still like, yeah, did I used to feel like shame because I was nurturing myself with food or I shouldn't be doing this. I should blah, blah, blah. A good healthy person would just do this or whatever. Oh, if you want to like, yeah. So there are all of those messages in myself that in the past I might've done that I think those were probably like worse for me than yeah, eat the bag of whatever healthy bag of chips exactly. you bought yourself today. That's a new trend that like whatever, you know, like that or like 
eat the bag of popcorn, but I shouldn't eat the whole bag of popcorn. How many servings has just had like whatever, like that sort of process and being like, yeah, I'm going to soothe myself. That was my every thought for over a decade. Uh, every thought was consumed by eat, eat, not eat, eat this, not that. This is good. This is bad. This is like, that was just all I had space in my brain for, for a decade. Yeah. And it's, I still, it's funny because again, since I haven't had there, I still just had my own stuff that I now like with eating is so different and how I look at food and I will be around people. And I forget because it's been so long since I felt that way that, yeah, they'll sort of be like, hey, let's order dessert. It's okay. Cause we're good. Cause this, can we walk today? Cause tomorrow we're going to do this. And like all the stuff that comes out and that, and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> And that they then like, let's get the dessert and you know that as they're eating the dessert and then let's like, they're still probably feeling the shame and they're doing the processing that it's okay because I'm going to walk tomorrow or I already exercise. So this is okay. Like, and I'm like, holy shit, like how exhausting and knowing a part of me probably did that. But I was just like, wow, this is a constant like, oh yeah, what do I, oh, we're going out. I went to like a, a meal with, um a friend was in town. And so she invited some friends, some people I knew and didn't, whatever, eating lunch. And then like. I do remember the stress of like, what should I order now? Like, should Trisha, who's a good healthy person, so I should get a salad like this, like these small choices on we're just here to enjoy each other's company as awesome woman and making so much of like, what's it okay for me to order (laughs) for people to see? And then the the way like, oh, I'm going to be bad. I'm going to order fries. I'm like, what? Like just so many ways that we... Are so would be so hard on ourselves with the food choices and mm-hmm. like how much energetic and mental space it takes up. And I'm so glad oh to not <laughs> anymore. But like, oh yeah, me too. I used to battle with that stuff on a totally different level than you. But just like that was a somewhat normal level that I'm sure so many people had. Yeah, yeah. I think most women have an experience of that. What you describe, you know. I think we are hard on ourselves. I think we are thought to judge other women and so we assume they're going to judge us and we are afraid of what's what they're thinking and we want to act in a way that makes us feel worthy of their you know of their love and to be part of the tribe and, and it's, to belong yeah, it's and all so these silly things. it's like what i'm gonna order for this lunch is, is gonna so define silly. whether i <laughs> am worthy of this person like being at the same time been. table at me or like whatever it's so when you really like stop to think about it, it's like what absolutely <laughs> absolutely yet in the moment it feels like the most important thing <laughs> to focus on okay anyway jumping back to yeah. teacher your kindergarten teacher, you said you were dealing with some chronic pain and stuff, but also like not teaching the people that you, the age group that you probably wanted to teach. So what happened from there? So when I said earlier that I started my puberty at 10, I when I started my cycle right away, it was very painful. It was very heavy. I was unable to go to school like number, you know, day number two, because it, I was bleeding so much that I would bleed through the pads and, you know, get my pants dirty. So I would have to miss school and I would feel very like a lot of pain and very like kind of dizzy and nauseous because of the heavy flow and because of the pain itself. And it took about 15 years for me to actually get diagnosed uh, by an OB because every OB was just like, okay, well, take take the pill and it will help your cycle or do take this medication. It will help your cycle. No one ever really looked into why this was happening, they just put a Band-Aid on it, right? 
and I would have to change OB and I would have to ask again and like try to get help differently. And it took all the way till I was unable to walk because the pain was so much and I was bleeding 22 days out of the month. It took to go that far for a doctor to actually take this seriously and be like, okay, let's investigate and figure out what's wrong. So at that point, I, when I quit teaching, I was bleeding pretty much every day. Like I had maybe a week, a month that I was not bleeding and I was in pain constantly. Everything was hurting. Like eat, like everything part of the digestive system was hurting because like it's that area of your body, right? Going to like even peeing was, was difficult and painful. Having sex was very painful. Breathing at the end was painful. Like everything was so inflamed and so like, you know, I had what they eventually discovered is that I had endometriosis, but it was so advanced. It was a stage four and they called it like a frozen pelvis, meaning there was so much scar tissue that all the organs were glued together. So from my diaphragm all the way down to my pelvic floor, everything was in one bundle all attached. And if you move one thing, everything else would get pulled on by that, right? Like connection of tissue. So there was a lot of pain. And I was at a point where when I stopped working, I would be in bed all day. I would take just baths and then lay on the tile floor because the coolness helped the nausea and the dizziness because of the pain was so much. And I just really hit a rock bottom in my life there where I was like, there's no point in living like this, you know, like there's no, and was that like, why? after why am I you continue? got diagnosed or before? So that was a little bit after like a few, the thing is that when they diagnose you, they have to do a, a small surgery to confirm that there's endometriosis and the surgery made me worse instead of like helping me when they went in, it was so advanced that they didn't touch anything because I had not consented to a full hysterectomy when I signed the papers. I had consented for them to do like the exploratory surgery and then to remove cysts, fibromes, scar tissue, and even to remove my ovaries. But I didn't want to have everything removed. I was in my 20s and I was like, this doesn't feel like the right solution for me now. So when they went in and they saw that they couldn't see what organ was what. They were like, we can't cut because we have no idea what we're cutting into. And she didn't consent to remove everything. So that's going to be an issue. So they just went in, they looked and they pulled out. And that was added trauma to that part of my body. So it made me even more sick. So as soon as I got the diagnosis, it kind of went even further <laughs> downhill from there. And when I came out of surgery, they said, well, if you don't want to remove your whole reproductive system, the only thing you can do is take prescription drug. You can take opiates and, you know, that's that's your solution. So they gave me a prescription for Percocet and a prescription for Oxy. And they said, basically, have a good life. This is renewable forever. So that was it. And it was either we remove your entire reproductive system or you live on these, like, painkillers for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I made the decision right away that I was not going to take the painkillers because I knew that on the spectrum of things, I leaned towards addiction. Not like I, I, I didn't think of myself as an addict, but the way that I was, my relationship with food felt very addictive. My relationship with alcohol felt very addictive. Not that I had like a huge problem, but the reason why I drank and how I drank were very symptomatic of 
I, I was not doing it just for fun and for party, you know, like I was doing it to numb myself. I was doing it to black out, to just not have to feel. So like I felt really clearly from my intuition that if I went down the Percocet route or the Oxy route, I would be dead in a few years. Like I would enjoy this a little too much and that would become a big problem. So when I threw the prescription in the garbage, I felt really hopeless because now doctors had told me like, basically there's nothing we can do. And I had decided that I was not going to take those pills. And so I felt like I had no other option, no other solution. And there was honestly not a reason to live with this pain. Like it was, it was not worth, it was not worth it. Trisha here. And you know, I am all about joy in connecting to your own joy on a daily basis. Well, what I wish for you in this brand new year is that you give yourself permission to experience more joy this year. Yes, give yourself permission and that you actually prioritize your own joy because one, you're worthy of joy. Two, joy is contagious. So it is our duty to each other to claim it, to own it and spread it. And you got to prioritize it sometimes to actually make it happen, right? Because the truth is life will always be throwing stuff at us, challenging us. It's not always fair and it's not always easy, which is why it is even more important to make connecting with your joy a daily intentional practice. So I have a couple tips for you to support you in prioritizing your own joy. One, make yourself a joy list. Write down the little and big things that bring you joy. Think small. Do this on your phone or somewhere that is easy for you to see and add to it and remind yourself, yeah, I want to connect to my joy today. And two, this is a super fun one. Keep some pizzazz apples on hand because not only are they delicious and nutritious, but apples are a natural mood booster. You know that old saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away? Of course you do. It's true, but not just for your physical health, but for your mental health as well. Apples are packed with antioxidants that fuel neurotransmitters in the brain, which boost your mood. And they also happen to be loaded with fiber and essential micronutrients, which promote optimal brain function. Amazing, right? So go check out, look for Pizzazz Apples. You can go to pizzazzapple.com to find your local store. Keep an eye out for them in Trader Joe's and your local store. They offer a bold, bright, tangy flavor with punchy notes of sweet and tart. Their flesh is extremely crisp. They're refreshingly juicy. They are so good. And like how, how easy, right? Just have an apple, have apples on hand, have the pizzazz apples on hand, take a bite, be present with it, allow yourself to get joy from your nurturing yourself. And also the apple itself has mood boosting properties in it. It is truly a good mood food. All right, go check out pizzazzapple.com. So that was a big rock bottom for sure that changed <laughs> my life and who I am today. Well, it's huge that you said no to the pills, but also interesting that you said like, I'm guessing like 
maybe if you had held on to the prescription and not ripped it up too, I wonder if like, you know, if because like, interesting that you said, no, I don't want to become an addict. But then you ended up getting to the point of was well, life worth living like yeah i wonder what would happen if you had like filled them or like you would have it would a whole it would gone maybe have gone a whole different way but yeah so what what happened from that low i low still point? trust that i made the right decision. oh totally yeah it was just like you made that choice it was so strong in listening to your intuition and then yeah and then it really hit another low so what happened from there Well, one day, my husband at the time walked in and I was laying on the floor, like face down, and he kind of had it. And (laughs) he lifted me up from the ground and I was totally like catatonic. Like I didn't help him at all. He just lifted me up like a rag doll. He sat me on the bed and he started to yell at me. And like now I tell the story and it sounds like a little intense, but he snapped me out of it. Like he did what he could do to support me in that moment. And it actually worked. He snapped me out of it. He was like, this is enough. Like, that's enough. (laughs) You got to figure out what we're going to do from here. I cannot watch you, you know, go down this road any longer. And he kind of yelled at me and shook me a little like by the shoulders, just like to really make me understand the words he was saying, because I was not even like, you know, I was so out of it. And I heard him. And he was like, you have to make a choice. Like, do you want to live or do you want to die? He kind of gave me an ultimatum and I had to make a decision on the spot. So I made the decision that I wanted to live. And he was like, okay, then we're going to figure this out. And he took control for a little bit to help me. And we did research and we sat in front of the computer and I kind of sat next to him while he did it for me. And he just searched all the ways that we could deal with pain that was you know, the holistic approach and the wellness approach. And we made a list of all the things. And he said, I'm going to do all those things with you. So um, one thing was getting sober. So like I stopped all alcohol and drugs. One thing was going vegan because I was eating everything. So he says, we're going to go vegan, both of us together. One thing was, you know, starting a meditation practice every day. So like we made a list of all the things that are shown to help with pain and illness. And we did them together until I was in the rhythm. And then he kind of bowed out. But he he pushed me by showing up with me in it. And he saved my life that they probably. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you had him. Did it end up like, yeah, did you end up having to do any further like healing medically with the endometriosis with, yeah, what they're saying with all of, I'm assuming with everything being what they say, like glued together, whatever that sounds pretty serious and not just like we will meditate and eat vegan diet and whatever, do call, call I'm like, what are all the things people can turn to? Yeah. Coffee. And yeah. Enemas. Have to do yeah, a coffee yeah. enema every day. And like, <laughs> tapping. So no, I'm just not to I say that those things don't work, but like, yeah, you probably couldn't have healed something. From that, not a hundred percent, but you would be shocked with the difference. Uh, it took about three months. For three months, it did nothing at all. For three months, I'm amazed you stuck with it happened. that long for not feeling anything. Wow. Yeah, and then basically three months, day for day, I woke up that morning and like, <sighs> I don't have pain. Like the pain just kind of started to diminish quite radically, and. I think the inflammation in the body started to diminish where like 
I was able to do more of everything. I was able to walk longer. I was able to be more active. I was able to like slowly get back to like a quote unquote normal life. And my, I lost weight, but I lost like a lot of inflammation, like my, the, around my waist, because I had really big cysts and fibromes and I had six of them. And by the time I got to my next, you know, OB appointment, they were almost all gone. Wow. They had shrinked so much that there was only one left and it was like 2.5 centimeters instead of like 13. Right. So, um, in inches, that's like, like they, it was about one inch instead of almost six. Right. So it was, it made a huge difference. My body was a lot healthier. And then I went to a doctor in the U.S that was more specialized than the doctor that I had gone to in Canada originally. And that was someone that their specialty was endometriosis. And that's all they did as far as surgery go. And then I went to see if they thought they could help me. And they were like, oh, yeah, no problem. Show, talk to me about the technology. They're like, I know what happened last time. We're a lot more advanced now. There was five years in between by the time I went to the second surgery. I really took my time to heal my body. And um then in surgery, they were able to clear all the scar tissue, separate all the organs. They were they put like some kind of fungi in between the organs while they heal so they don't glue back together because it's like raw skin, right? So it would like heal by gluing back. So they put like these mushroomy things. Very interesting. <laughs> they showed me all the photos. I was like, oh, what? What are you doing? And um, they kept all my organs, but they were able to remove cysts and fibroids that were left and... I, for the first time, felt 100% after I healed from that surgery. Because in between those years, on top of like, or during that five-year span, on top of the diet and the, you know, mind-body-spirit practices and all of this, I did, I tried chemical menopause, which like they give you injections and of hormones that put you in a menopause. So your body stops the cycle and then it gives time to your body to heal as well because you're not having a cycle every month right so for a few i think we did 3 so like almost a year i was in chemical menopause so that was one thing i had tried so i had tried like a lot of steps a lot of things along the way and then i felt that my body was ready that surgery would be more successful at this point and so i went for it and it worked and it was it was great and but it's not it's not a an illness that is curable according to <laughs> according to the Western medicine uh, doctors. So it's still something I'm dealing with, but it's a lot a lot better managed. I would say that I might have pain one day out of the month. So it's very I feel like a normal person who just has you know a bad day in their period. Well, and so nowadays. also with that time, because when you, yeah, when it got so bad that you finally got diagnosed, you were bleeding most of the month, it sounded like. So after that, when you, yeah, they did the surgery where they looked and then didn't do anything. And then you started your healing journal, like jur journal. I'm sure you were journaling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, but but um, your journey, like, did you like, did that ever regulate, did that end up regulating your itself on its own before you did the surgery too? Or like, because of all the things yeah, you were doing? I have, a, a, I have a six day cycle now. And was that? And before surgery, it was like seven days or eight days. It was, it, it really cut down for sure. Wow. And so I'm guessing all of that work that you were doing on yourself to heal, is that what got you to what 
the work that you are doing now? Like, yeah, what also happened from because I guess you stopped teaching during that time. Yeah, I stopped teaching and I took a year off. And then when I came back, I was like, do I want to be a school teacher again? Like, is that really going to help support my health right now? Because that was kind of my priority. And I knew how demanding it was and I knew how difficult it could be. And I was like, I don't know if it's the right decision for me to go back. And so I still knew that I was really good at being a teacher and I enjoyed it. So I just asked myself, what else can I teach? Like, what else am I, you know, (laughs) what else do I know or what else am I passionate about that I would like to help people with? And at that moment, yoga was part of my life and had been for a few years. And I was like, that's the only thing I'm really passionate about. So I went on to do teacher training and then become a yoga teacher. And that was kind of starting a completely new journey when it comes to career and my life. And as I became a a yoga teacher, I really, really loved it. But I felt like there was not enough time for me to talk about the things that I wanted to talk about between inhale, arms up, exhale, arms down, you know, like I wanted to dig in with people a little further and I wanted to share things about your body and your health and everything that we go through mentally and emotionally. But the container of the one hour of yoga class was not allowing me to do that. So then I looked at like, how can I add to that and have more time with people to dig a little deeper? And so I thought coaching would be the way to go. And this is how from there I decided to become a coach. And now I focus on helping particularly highly sensitive women to deal with overwhelm, to deal with their stress, their overthinking, their you know, their trouble regulating their emotions, because I feel like I've learned to do that through that whole journey, whether it was through my relationship to food, my relationship to my body, illness and pain, my relationship to other, you know, coping mechanisms that was alcohol and drugs and things like that. So it's putting it all together is what brings us where we are today. And is that like, so first of all, I love, uh, that yeah, you're like noticing you love teaching yoga, but then like when it's because yeah, I'm that has to be like such a huge change going from where you were being in so much pain and like yeah, like bleeding all this like besides just like there were physical things that were really keeping you from doing anything, and then noticing from the things that you were doing how big of an impact that had on your life. So like. Yeah, like wanting to be like, you'd probably have no idea what's going on in your body and you can change it. And it's like, whatever, like um, that when you so when you first were like, okay, like coaching, did you know, like, this is like, did it just start with, I will coach anybody and then get to where you are now? Yeah. Because I feel like that must be an interesting spot. I really like, yeah. My first coaching programs were like basically everything I knew about the world in my body, in the body, you know, like it was so big. There was so much stuff. And it was like, here's basically everything I know how to make you feel better, no matter what your problem is, you know? And I kind of niched down over the years into focusing on eventually like mind-body practices, eventually more on 
moving from surviving to thriving, like getting out of survival because I felt like with food, I was in a survival mode with my illness. I was in a survival mode. And like, I knew that place a lot and I had moved myself out of that and I was moving through healing. And now I was feeling like I was thriving in my life and that journey, I wanted to bring people through that journey. And then I kind of had to niche down again because that was still very big and very vague in a way. Like, what does it mean to survive? And like, there's so many things in your life that can bring you there, right? So being highly sensitive myself and having that experience of like, having to like, tone it down, turn it off, being sensitive to my environment, to other people's uh, emotion and like their experience, like, it brought it to like something that I could pinpoint a little bit more, really working with the consequences of being highly sensitive. And like, instead of feeling like this is something wrong with you, that you can turn it around and make it a superpower in a way, like make it something that is special and unique and useful about who you are, right? Yeah, I love that. And that you were able to like tune that far in. I I want to talk about uh nervous system regulation and like somat is it so how do you say it? Somatic? So, so it's like it's a word that I somatic. know and then now I now that it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, why can I not say somatic healing? I know, and I <laughs> saw like yeah. I couldn't tell. I can say it for a second. I was like, so because I feel like in the last and maybe it's because of the pandemic, but like I feel like those things are almost like buzzwords right now. That it's like, oh, do this for go to the somatic, this this whatever nervous system regulation, the blah blah, blah blah nerve, which not bad that they're like buzzwords, but sometimes when it's like all of a sudden everywhere, then it's like, what is this? But I think it's probably really valuable for people to know about. But yeah, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, another one of those. But like, what and why? So like, it seems like you focus on those things a lot. Is that right? That's my main okay. focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of coaching from like mindset and like, let's talk about it. And I coach from let's feel it. Let's move it through your body. And let's connect to what it does inside of you. And so it's like about getting out of your head and into your body. Soma means body, right? So somatic is a practice that you feel instead of like you intellectualize. So the idea is like moving from yoga and already having mind-body practices and mind-body-spirit practices, it's similar. It's a similar idea. It's just it's not just what's included. I want not just what's included in yoga. There's already so much there but it adds other things that are more to the coaching world. And what I realized over the years is that my nervous system was at the base of so much of my issues. And when I learned to regulate, when I learned the sign of stress, when I learned my relationship to stress, when I learned how I could bring myself into calmness and how I could move myself out of overwhelm and how to do that physically, how much things would shift with ease where I, I tried to like think my way out of the issue and it would not work. I would be more stressed. You know, I would go into overthinking and I would go into overanalyzing and it would actually not help me out of what I was feeling. And the way for me to move out of that was to do it through the body. And so this is why nervous system regulation works. And I like to use that as the base of everything I teach and somatic feels better for me than sitting and talking about it. 
So I could give examples. Yeah, because I'm like, even I get it. But yeah, like I think I like to like make sure it's like if somebody had never heard of this, we'll get it. So like, yeah, it's like, so right. Nervous system regulate. Yeah, great. So regulate my nervous system. But like, what what the heck does that Mm -hmm. look like and mean or feel? Yeah, like really like feel it. Because that's also too, I think we are so programmed to look at what things look like or like, okay, if I want to be successful, what does that look like? Oh, am I enough? What does that look like? Which then creates this like, yeah, we're overworking. We have to make this much money. We should be this size, whatever. But like, I'm always questioning, but what would that feel like? What would it feel like to be enough? What would it feel like to be successful? What would it feel like to be fulfilled? So I'm big at myself and like coaching my clients like, well, what is that instead of look? But yeah, I think so often we're like, so what, okay, what would my nervous system regulated look like? <laughs> like that's immediately where people's minds go when they're looking for answers. <laughs> like not like, what does it feel like? <laughs> Psst, Trisha here. And I got to tell you about this skincare shift I've been making that has been making such a difference and that you want to start doing this out too. First of all, you know that I love Blissoma. It is truly authentic green beauty which is kind of hard to find these days. So many brands are greenwashed, cleanwashed. They can just slap labels on them because the government doesn't regulate it at all, unfortunately. Blissoma is truly cutting edge chemistry meets traditional herbal knowledge for the best of both worlds. They are legit and the products work and they're made with so much care. But so here's the thing that I have been doing. I have been using a scrub Every like Sunday morning, leaving you leave it on and then wash it off after about 15 minutes and then using their moisturizing mask in the morning. I don't know if you all do this, but in my mind, I kept thinking like masks were for like nighttime and like before going to bed and I never have the energy to do anything like that. So doing it in the morning has been so helpful and joyful. And just a reminder that, yeah, if you've been wanting to do something, but you're not doing it, try it a different way. Make it easier for yourself. Okay. So then I use, well, uh, daily routine. I use their free gel cleanser and makeup remover, which is like hugely well-known, loved. It's won awards. Toner. I use the Aura Brightening Serum. And then because of the winter weather, I also then use the Lift Energy Cream Moisturizer, which you can use my code CLAIMIT20 for 20% off anything in the moisturizing category. And then I also sometimes add the Restore Omega Miracle Facial Oil at during the day too, but that is what I use at night. Their products are so healing, so deeply moisturizing, and again, are good for your skin. The oil, the miracle oil that I was talking about has 10 plus oils that are cold pressed and unrefined from rare seeds. It's breathable, rich conditioning for comfort during the day and the night. And it gives this satiny nourished glow to the skin. Check out their brand, Blissoma. You can take a little quiz on their website talking about their skin and a real human looks at your result or looks at your information and then gives you product recommendations. Check them out, blissoma.com. Use code CLAIMIT20 on all products in the moisturizing category. So being regulated would feel like you're operating at the most optimal way your system, your body, your mind can 
operate. For me, that looks like feeling grounded, feeling calm, feeling safe. That's a huge one for me. Um, feeling like everything's okay, right? There's no panic. There's no chasing. There's no worrying. There's no rumination. There's no, there's no numbness. It's a place where I can feel. I can also like allow, but also like feel in control. Like it's not like if I start to feel, it's just going to like explode and be something that I can't rein in, right? So it's a place where I'm able to engage with someone. I'm able to be present. I'm able to, like, I'm not in my head thinking, oh my God, are they judging me about what's on my plate, right? Like this is not being regulated. Being regulated is that I'm able to listen, truly listen to you because I'm not thinking of my next answer. I'm not thinking, what is she thinking? I'm here. I'm present. I'm listening. I can hold eye contact. That's a way that I know that I'm feeling regulated. I'm able to like have a deep, slow breath. There's no agitation. There's no irritation. There's like, right? So can you feel like the difference between those examples? Yeah. Well, I, like, and no, and I get it. And this thing, I'm glad that you like even gave different, different examples because it was like even the like, oh, I feel grounded. I feel calm. Or it's like, I get that. But I'm like, I've realized that a lot of people don't have any grasp. What does that feel like? You know what I mean? Because again, if you're just like constantly in the thinking mode and this and what should I should be doing this, that, whatever, that people haven't had practice with. Okay, what's grounded? What's grounded? What's that? Again, what does that look like? And not of, oh, let me experience <laughs> what that can feel like in my body. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like giving more examples of like, yeah, well, you're not, if your nervous system is not regulated, um, I guess. Yeah. So if you're not regulated, it looks like a stress response that might be like emotionally that would look like either frustration, anger, worry, anxiety, those are all not being regulated, right? Agitation, fear, shame, guilt. Those are all emotions you experience. When you experience those, you're not regulated. Um, in the contrast, when you're regulated is where you're able to experience joy. And just that for people that might also be like, I, I don't know if I remember what really joy feels like. Like, it, that could be an issue, you know? Like, we forget what joy feels like, what true love for ourselves, for others feels like, that true presence feels like, right? So those are like the opposite emotions. It's like peace. What, when's the last time you felt peace? <laughs> right? Like that's interesting. Like a lot of us, we, we don't, we don't know last time we felt peaceful, like completely relaxed in a way that I'm not worried about anything like, whew, right? So that's like emotionally like the contrast. And then there's going to be a contrast in the thoughts, the kind of thoughts you're having. If you're having thoughts of like, what if negative, you're not being regulated. But if your thoughts are more like, what if positive option, right? Like, what if it's, what if it all turns out okay? That's a more regulated kind of train of thought than what if it catastrophe. If you're expecting catastrophe, if you're thinking black or white, like it has to, it's good or bad, there's no in between, those are unregulated thoughts. If you make it all about you, like someone is having their experience and like they snap at you and you're like, of course I did something wrong, I am wrong, I am not enough, those thoughts are dysregulating thoughts versus, hmm, there must they must be having a hard day. 
where like it has nothing to do with you that they snapped at you. Right. So is this something like I'm assuming that it's like something that, yeah, it's not as if like I have a regulated nervous system. It is always this. It's like the work of regulating your nervous system. Because when you're like, oh, when you're a doubt, shame, fear, because I'm always like, hey, as a human, those things are going to continue to come up, the not enoughness, thoughts, whatever. But it's tuning into, oh, this is me having a doubt. This is shame, whatever. So paying attention to it. So then you can work Bringing through it. So basically, I guess I have been like, so yes. So I do it, but I just have different words for it. But like, yeah, because it's not like, oh, you don't have a regulated nervous system if you have shame or if you have a doubt. It's like that's when you do the work to regulate your nervous system when you realize, okay, I'm in a doubt right now. Okay, I'm reacting this way. Like then you're like, do the thing. We're all going to experience frustration. We're all going to experience sadness. Like we don't control the world around us, right? So the idea is to see, have the awareness of our experience and then meet ourselves where we are. Be like, oh, I am feeling X now. Be with that for a moment and then learn how to shift out to a more regulated state to bring yourself out of whatever is the emotion that you're experiencing in that moment the fear, the name it. Well, do you have any so sort of like, tools to shift. would you mind sharing like a a tool or a shift like, yeah, since we're talking about this, like, okay, so this would be one example of, yeah, you find yourself here. Here's something you could do (laughs) to support yourself and regulate your university. I just said, (laughs) I don't even know. Regulate your super stress. Yeah. If you're feeling super stressed. So that might look, that might, that can look differently, right? Too. So like learning, what does it look like when you're feeling stress? Uh, For me, I'm going to feel agitated in my thoughts or in my body. Like I'm going to fidget. I'm going to like look around, move a lot. I might feel a little warmer. I might feel like my breath's a little bit more shallow. I tend to get headaches, jaw pain, neck pain, shoulder pain. Those are like examples that I'm like, uh, I'm a little stressed today. For other people, it might be like a belly ache or they're they're having trouble with their digestion or they get snappy, like they're really impatient, right? So it's learning, like, what do you do when you're stressed? And when you notice that for stress, I love to shake. So shake my whole body for a minute or two. And that meets the energy of agitation that I feel. That would also work with like putting my favorite dance pop song on and just dancing like no one's watching. I'm going to feel a big shift in my energy after. Something in the world of yoga doing like a breath of fire or a bellows breath, like a fast pace, um, almost forceful breath is going to help me shift out of that. Uh, Doing a faster paced vinyasa or like if someone likes to go on a run or going weightlifting, those are things that are going to help me meet the pressure in my body. And then it's going to be able to shift. When I have met that pressure, when I have shift that energy, then I can bring the opposite. So now I can bring something that makes me feel peaceful, relaxed, so for me, that might, that might mean meditation or I might not be ready. It might mean a walk outside or go sit and bask in the sun. This is one of my favorites. Just go sit in the sun for a few minutes. That energy feels very calming and relaxing for me. Going in nature. Um, if meditation works, that might be that. It might be now like a really more gentle movement. Maybe it's more of a yin yoga or like a slow hatha flow, like something that is different energetically that will help you be with that longer breath. Maybe now you're at alternate nostril breathing inside instead or a 
circular left breathing kind of thing, right? So there's practices for each state. And the idea is that first you meet yourself in this example, in the agitation, you do something that feels agitating in a sense, but it will help kind of squash or like cancel out where you are. And then you can bring in the opposite because if you're feeling really stressed and you go straight to a relaxation technique, like I'm sure people have experienced that. They're like, I feel so stressed. I'm going to go sit and meditate. Your mind is just like, ah, and you can't actually quiet down because you're in agitation right now. So you need to move that first. Then you can find something that's calming and that's going to bring that energy in. So that would be like different tools that you can choose depending on what kind of symptoms you're experiencing. Love that. What about if somebody is feeling like a, I don't know if shame and I am not enough are the same, but I don't, I feel like in some ways they can be. Like, is there like, like that's what do you have different tools, things for the different types of things that you're struggling with or like are those some of the same ones? I guess it just depends. Yeah, it could be different tools depending on the physical and emotional reaction that shame brings in your body. Energetically, what does shame look like for you? For me, shame feels a little bit more collapsing. It's not agitated. I'm not agitated when I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling like I want to hide. I want to take a blanket over my head, get into a ball and pretend that the world doesn't exist. You tell that's a different energy. So the practices are going to be different, right? So if you're feeling that heaviness of shame, for me, shame feels heavy. So the first practice I would do is either do like a restorative yoga with sandbags, do something that feels heavy on my body or use a weighted blanket and like curl up into a ball and put all the weight on me and just be present with that weight and feel the heaviness of it. And that might create some tears or other like emotional reaction and letting that come through, through the heaviness that you put on your body. If you're really, really collapsed, something like using an ice cube and passing the ice cube either on the side of your neck or on the inner wrist or the inner elbow is going to help your body just like there's this little like reaction to cold that lifts up your energy a little bit. So that might be something you do after you felt the weight, maybe you use some ice or you use something that now will be a little bit more uplifting for you. That might mean you watch a really funny movie or it might mean that you're going to start to do more of like a right nostril breathing. You're going to do something that's now uplifting that almost looks like it would bring you into stress, but because you're like on the other side of the spectrum, your collapse, you want to bring a little bit more aliveness. So a cold shower might do that or a cold plunge would do that after like the ice cube is a more gentle way to start, right? But like if you want to go a little bit more, so it's something that's going to make you feel re-enliven whatever that is for you. Like that's something we, I can talk about with the client and see like, what do you love to do? What excites you? Um, and then I can bring precise practices like ice or things like that to really wake you up out of that heaviness that you're feeling that in my experience relates to an emotion like shame. Yeah. I love, I love also that it's like the first step. Well, it's first in order to even be able to do the stuff work really it's that the awareness first of all like oh what am i feeling so like that awareness 
And that also you're like somewhat like holding space for that or being like, oh, okay, I feel this and that's okay. Like that it's not, yeah, when you're in the shame that that it's not go to like something that brings you joy or the heart opening thing or right away or something that you might go to, but like, no, let like put weight on yourself, like let yourself be with that for a moment or more, like more than a moment, but like for a period and then go into How that. How long as you need. So it's, um, yeah, like I don't know, that feels really compassionate, uh, just even that approach mm-hmm. too, which like, yeah, like what you're talking about, how because like I, my, that's just how, how my own healing has gone, has been like mindset work, which I had my own journey with y- yoga and all that too. But like, I like that is, so it's, but it's interesting, like it's, I have similar steps, but mine is more with like, yeah, I, don't have the some of them are physical practice I'll add in but I'm not like I'm not teaching somatic principles and this and that and stuff but like I do shaking is something that I do in this or like so it's not that I don't do physical things but yeah it's just interesting like oh cool like I was naturally being like how big the awareness is first of naming it and not like that you're making yourself wrong for feeling this thing but being like oh okay I feel this what's going on like okay this is and then and then going to like okay, what can we do to support ourselves to move to the other side and not like that? So interesting that, yeah, like- I think it's super important to give ourselves the chance to not push it away by trying to change it right away and sitting with that emotion. The idea is that this energy has to move through you. If you repress it, this is what creates issues down the line. So you have to just let it move through like it's any other emotion and not attach a meaning to it that shame is bad and sadness is this. And it's just what you're experiencing. Let yourself experience it. Once you have fully experienced that and we're done with it, then we'll move to what feels more needed now, you know, like after. But it's really in a nervous system point of view, if you tell your body that this is not okay, you tell yourself that you're not safe. You tell yourself that it's not okay to be you. It's not okay to feel this. It's dangerous. It's risky. There's a threat. There's going to be a bad consequence. You're teaching yourself to put yourself in the survival mode. You're teaching yourself to put yourself in a stress response because you're not allowing yourself to feel sadness or to feel shame or to feel guilt. Yeah. So you're like, we're I, there's really something wrong with me. Oh, I'm brain. stressed. Oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm not, again, good enough. I'm not this enough. Oh, exactly. I'm doubting myself. I must not be a very strong, whatever, com- like I'm not a confident enough person. Like, yeah, like we're so often like shaming ourselves for feeling the shame or the doubt or the fear or this instead of just being like, oh, I'm here. Okay. Let's look at that. Or like, <laughs> And that step is so important. Like you were asking for the people that have a lot of non-enoughness thoughts, like that step is the most important for them. We basically don't even need the second step as much. We just need to have them sit with what is and be okay with what is. Like that's the practice for them. Yeah. It's to let go of that. I'm not enough and like break down the things they do that shows them that they're not enough or that teaches them their brain that this is not okay. You're not okay. So it's accepting your experience. Yeah, that's what I – I don't know what – a few years ago at some point it was like, yeah, it would be like, oh, no, there's this, that, whatever. And like one, I would notice that and then just being like, oh, this is just – a oh, there I go. This is another not enough thought. Like just the being able to like – it shifted with so much different work of that. Then it's just like, oh, okay, right. This is – okay, like that. Like, okay. Whether it's, again, looking in the mirror with all the body image stuff and healing I've done, I can still glance in the mirror and then go, oh, like <laughs> – <laughs> oh, my arm is this or whatever. And then like, oh, okay. 
this is not like I like I don't this is like that, but just let that is that that naming of that's this is what's happening right now. I'm experiencing this, whatever, and not like it can go. We, yeah, so often I feel like we like pile the shitty emotions on top of the shitty. Like we feel like, oh, first of all, that we have to even la- label it. Like I, that it's like that it even goes to my mind once labeled as a shitty emotion or a bad emotion that it's like they're emotions. Like, <laughs> well, let me put another one on top of it because I'm not allowed to feel that one. So like, <laughs> there's something wrong. This with one me. is bad. Yeah. So it's like even removing that they're emotion, it's just energy. Mm. It's an energy that needs to move. Like if you actually look at the meaning of emotion, in Latin it's emotere, which means energy in motion. Oh, wow. That's all it means. It's an energy you need to move out of your body. It's not good. It's not bad. It's, it is what it is right now. And it shows that you are a lot more regulated today than you were in the past because you catch it, you see it, and you're like, oh, okay. I can take a choice now. I can make a decision to go down this path versus getting caught up in it. When you get all caught up in it, you can't, you're missing that awareness of like, what are the signs? What is happening? And then you, you get automatically dysregulated because you can't take yourself out of it. Yeah. Right. So you can, we can see the way you talk about it, that you're a lot more regulated now. One sign is that we're easier. It's easier for us to shift. It takes less time. We get less stuck in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. Just that yeah, the emotion is what is energy in motion. Is that what you said? In motion. Energy is in motion. Yeah. Very cool. And so yeah, just thinking realizing it that too. Like, oh, what is this energy I'm is. feeling right now? Like <laughs> Yeah, what is this energy? Love it. Okay, I'm gonna ask you some questions I ask everybody. What is a go-to to raise your joy levels? <laughs> oh there's this practice called breath of joy. Oh, I don't think I've ever heard that. Is a three-part inhale and a big loud exhale. So you stand on your feet, you inhale, bring the arms in front of the body, you inhale, open wide and across the chest, you inhale, reach up to the sky, and then you exhale and you throw everything back in behind you. So it does like a <sighs> Oh, okay. I have done that before. Face. I just never heard of it as breath of joy. Is that what you called it? It's called breath of joy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So this is a go-to that I use and I'll tell people, imagine you're throwing out whatever robs you of that joy, like let it go, throw it away, be loud with your voice. And when you pull it in, pull from the ground, open your heart, reach to the sky, like reach all around you, bring it in, throw out what's in the way. And if you put a little smile on your face and you really let your voice come through, you, you feel definitely some joy after just a couple minutes. Love it. I ask people to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So what is easiest for me <laughs> is blank. What is best for me is uh-huh. blank. What is easiest for me is to avoid. What's best? I've learned so many strategies to avoid. I'm really, really good at <laughs> And uh, that's definitely not what's best for me. <laughs> What's best for me is to feel, is to feel it all and like be okay with how sensitive I am. Mm, love that. And I love also how quickly you knew. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Like, <laughs> I know what mine is. <laughs> Definitely, no doubt there. I wonder if that's also something to do with like – nervous regulation because I feel like I don't ever give that per- like I don't send people questions ahead of time and so some people are like I think thrown off of like you're just asking me this on the spot but most people do when they just stop trying to think of an answer 
it it shows up pretty naturally. But I feel like the people that hesitate longer, it's not because they don't know. It's like, I don't know. Is that the right answer? Is this like... So what happens from a nervous system-based point is that the more stressed you are, the less cognitive function you have. So the less regulated you are in that moment, the more you're worried about the question and having the right answer, the less you're going to be able to come up with the right answer because your brain will go blank in the moment of pressure because you're ready to be like, I'm going to run away. Like, I'm I'm ready to fight you. Like, I'm getting angry at you. Like, why did you not send me that question in advance? Why? right? Our brain goes there and then we can't think of the answer where if you like you're laid back and relaxed, you're like, okay, shoot, we'll see what comes up. You're actually going to be able to think clearly on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. You come that so fast. Maybe it's perhaps <laughs> because yeah, most people do. It's like if they just like, wait, what did you say? And then here it comes out and I love it it's because they have no clue what like, it's not like they, they have no idea like this is coming because I doubt they whatever listen to the very end of my podcast where I was like, some people might know, but you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, so it's cool yeah. for me too to just like what comes up when you don't when you get asked this question and what where your mind goes to. And then yeah, some people really struggle with like, how dare you just throw that at me? <laughs> uh, That's a stress response. It doesn't mean they don't know the answer. Is that in that moment their brain is busy doing something? Yeah, else. I know. And I don't doesn't and I also don't feel like that it means something about them. But yeah, it's like, oh, they're thrown off. And then when they just like actually let themselves like Oh, okay. What? Answer it? Then, okay. It comes out. They figure yeah. it out. Um, okay. The last question is, the name of the podcast is Claim It, which goes along with what I was mentioning earlier, how so often I feel like we can be focused on what things look like instead of what they feel like. And I feel like if we focus more on what it would feel like, then we have access to claiming it, if even just for a glimpse of it. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? Mm, I'm claiming joy. I've been claiming joy really strongly because I've been in a on a really focused growth path and I've learned for a long time that that has to come through suffering mm. and I decided that I was over with that and now I'm continue to gr- I'm continuing to grow but I'm doing it through joy and I'm focused on claiming the joy that I deserve to experience in my life. Love that and hope some other people can claim that too. Yeah, I almost interrupted you there cuz yeah, it was like you realize like subconsciously or unconsciously that, yeah, it was sort of like, okay, I'm in a growth phase. And so like that I must suffer while I'm growing, but like, oh wait, no, I can be still growing while doing this through joy. Yeah. One doesn't like, one doesn't cancel the other. You can actually do both at the same time. They can coexist. And I didn't know that for a long time. Yeah. I, I thought you needed the dark night or the soul to grow. Like I thought that's, that was the only way. Yeah. It can definitely come. It definitely can come from (laughs) that. And it can come from like, yeah, just following your joy and trusting yourself and so much more. Awesome. I'm so glad we got this conversation. Thank you so much for opening up with me. And I'll definitely link to all your stuff. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to chat with you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Erica and her sharing about her healing and journey and about nervous system regulation a little bit. For more on Erica, you can go to ericabelanger.com. It'll be in the show notes, erica.belanger, and on and off your mat podcast. Um, That is her podcast, and there's also a social media link there. And fun fact, I am a guest on her podcast the very same week that this one is releasing. So you can go check out my conversation with her over on On and Off Your Mat. 
as always, I am sending you love. I'm sending you compassion. I um, have some one-on-one coaching spots open for right now. I also have space in my group coaching container, which is such a magical and way more affordable way to work with me than the one-on-one. And also make sure to check out my From the Heart community subscription. I send out notes there, both in audio form and written form about four to five times a week. So these little like notes, reflections, things for you to go. So that is a great way if you love the things that I share and my mindset tips and all of those things for staying connected to who you are. It's only $12 a month, less than that if you sign up for an annual subscription. All right. Last thought of the day, what are you claiming? Let's say, what are you claiming for the year? I think I said that in the last one, but let's go for it and see what just comes up. You don't have to just name one thing. Like I was walking today and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm claiming expansion this year. Um, I'm claiming fun this year. And what else was I claiming? Oh, a deeper self-trust. Oh, You know, what's interesting about that is I feel like I've had self-trust from a young age, if you've read my story um, or have heard me talk about it. But yet at the same time, again, there's so much in life that can try to distract us from trusting ourselves and our intuition. And yeah, a lot of times trusting yourself can be really freaking hard because it's like, here are the rules of life. This is the way everyone says it should work. (sighs) Deeper self-trust. You going to claim that too? Join me.